Amen. Thanks, David and Jeff. And man, what a, what a good morning. Happy Mother's Day. All the moms here today, uh, honored to have you here, and I trust that you feel honored. Uh, hopefully, if not, by the time lunch is done, you will so. Um, man, what a, what a great day. Um, appreciate Jeff bringing up the, the Taylor family, Maria Taylor, Hudson Taylor, um, is, is actually who we named our firstborn child after, uh, Hudson Taylor. And so, uh, that family um, has been an inspiration to us as a family and, and an inspiration to the Brays who are now on the mission field in China. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but we work in the Philippines right now in a, in a village every year, and the Brays were actually a part of the first team to go there for us as a church. And so uh, Daniel and Amanda living out the mission there in, in China now. Uh, what a great uh, update from them. So uh, we're going we're gonna to be in Matthew 20 this morning if you want to go ahead and get there. Uh, in, in your Bible or on your phone or your tablet. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along this morning, uh, there are Bibles under the seats around you. We're going to be in Matthew 20 and then 1 Samuel 1. This morning, what we're going to do is um, look at um, this beautiful God-ordained and created heart of a mom and specifically how that unfolds in prayer. We're going to look at two contrasting examples of a mother's heart in prayer. And, uh, and I think that every person in the room is going to be able to relate and be challenged by what we look at this morning. And so we're going to start with the mother of James and John. These were the sons of Zebedee, so Zebedee's wife, Solome. We're going to look at her prayer for her boys. And then we're also going to go to the Old Testament to 1 Samuel 1 and look at Hannah's prayer uh, for her son Samuel. And we're going to see how what God created good and right, what he says is very good in Genesis 1, as he creates the man and woman to reflect his heart, his character. So what God creates very good and very right in the heart of the, the woman, how, how that can get bent through sin, how it can turn what's, what's meant to reflect the character of God can turn inward and become selfish. But we're also going to see a beautiful example of what it looks like for the mom to follow in the pattern even of Jesus as he prayed and, and to pray with open hands and to pray for our children in a way that God gets the glory and he leads their path. And, so, um, and then we're going we're gonna to have a baptism of a beautiful young lady who's given her heart to Jesus. And, and that's going to be at the end of the message. So, so much to look forward to today uh, in today's uh, service. I'm glad you're here. Uh, so let's get started. In, uh, so starting in Matthew 20, here's what's just happened. Um, Jesus has just said to his disciples, hey guys, he was reminding them, I'm getting ready to go die. I'm getting ready to suffer. I'm ready, getting ready to die for the sins of the world. And he's just laid that out there for them. Right after that, the mom of two of his disciples, because there's some brothers among the 12. You've got uh, Peter and Andrew. We saw that last week. And we also saw James and John. When, when Jesus called them, he said, hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Peter and Andrew, two brothers, left and immediately followed Jesus. Then right after that, he walks up to two guys, James and John. So these are the sons of a, of, of a man named Zebedee. He was a fisherman. And we saw th these last week, these boys dropped their nets and left their father, left their industry, their career, to follow Jesus. That was in chapter 4 of Matthew. Now we're in chapter 20. So, so much has happened now in the lives of these boys. And so what's going to happen is Jesus lays out this reminder, I'm getting ready to go die for the sins of the world. And so right after he finishes that conversation, their mom uh, drags the two of them up to the feet of Jesus and lays out her petition, her prayer, her desire for her, her two boys. And so this is where we're going to pick it up in verse 20. And uh, so it begins in Matthew 20, 20. Then, so right after that, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, we believe her name was Salome or Salome, uh, she, uh, she came up to him, being Jesus, with her sons. So she not only comes to make a petition before Jesus to lay out her desires in her prayer, she grabs her boys, as a lot of times moms will do, and brings them with her. 
and she kneels before the Lord and she asks or prays or petitions him for something. Okay, and so, so far, so good. Moms, right, you can relate to this. Many times, if you're a mother, you have more than likely been on your knees before the Lord, petitioning, asking for something for your kids, right? So, so far, so good. And so here's what happens. This good desire that's placed in her heart to be a nurturing mom, to want good things for her children, to see them succeed and go on and be healthy and safe and all these sorts of things. Uh, what we're going to see is that it gets a little bent here as she, as she asks Jesus for something. And so Jesus says to her, so she's before him, she's kneeling, she's asking. He says, what do you want? Now, um, what we're going to hear is what she wants, right? So she's going to make her offer before the Lord. She's going to say, this is what I want. What do you want? She said to him, here's what I want, Jesus. I want you to say, so she was probably aware he's getting ready to die, getting ready to go to the grave and resurrect and establish his kingdom on earth. So here's what she says. I want you to say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom. So now, so far on the onset, what we're hearing is what seems to be a good desire. Right, moms? I want my boys to have a good position with you. I want them to be recognized, respected among their peers. I know there are 12 disciples, but I'm a mom. I love my boys. I want them to sit on your right and on your left. I want to secure that position for them. I want to make sure that they've got a place in your kingdom. Very similar to the prayers that we offer for our boys all the time. God, lead our boys into your kingdom. Make sure that you secure their eternity in your kingdom. Lead them to follow you and to love you and to give their lives for you. But do you, do you feel where it begins to bend a little bit? Make sure they get to sit on your right and on your left. Make sure they get these special places among your people in your kingdom. And so Jesus answered her, you do not know what you're asking. Now he's going to go on to explain, but that's not what you want to hear when you pray, is it? <laughs> God, here's what I want. And God responds, you don't know what you're asking for. Yet, so many times we don't know what it is we're asking for. We're asking for an outcome. I want this to happen. I want it to go this way. And in our minds, it seems reasonable and right for things to play out a certain way, whether it's a petition for our kids or for us or for our, right, for our friends. We want it to play out this way. And so many times, in a still, small voice, God responds to us, you don't really know what you're asking for. You can't really see fully the outcome of, if that happens, this will happen. And so he responds by saying, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And so for Jesus, as he uses this cup to, uh, as, a, as, as, a, as a tangible reminder of his own death, this is the same thing he prays in his own prayer before the Father. If it's possible, God, take this cup from me. But then he responds, he follows with what? But nonetheless, not my will be done, Father. Your will be done. And so we know Jesus just said, I'm getting ready to die. And now when he's talking about the cup, he's talking about his own death. And he says... Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, so now the boys speak up. They said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink. You will drink this cup. James and John going on to face many hardships for the sake of the kingdom. James giving his life. John was the one 
tortured and an exiled who writes down Revelation, these men would face their own cup of suffering and hardship for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus is saying, you're absolutely right. However, look at what he says, you will drink my cup. You will follow in my footsteps and my example of suffering and hardship. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So there's, an, there's a will involved here. Whose will? By my Father. So what you're asking for isn't necessarily a bad thing. Here's the problem. God gets to decide that. This is where we were reminded where God says, your ways are not my ways. The way you think about things is not the way I think about things. What you want to happen isn't necessarily what I want to happen. And so we see this good desire within a mom begin to get bent towards some things. And we're going we're gonna to lay these things out. So to begin with, so let's think about what God created good in the heart of a mom. Uh, one of the things we can say is this, that God created this a nurturing character within the hearts of moms, right? It plays out in a lot of really good ways. So like safety and cleanliness, right? I mean, if it wasn't for mom, um, right? I'm just telling you, my boys would probably bathe once a week. They'd brush their teeth once a month, maybe, just when I get close enough to smell their breath. We would never wear helmets when we ride bikes. Like there's this nurturing good thing that God creates in the heart of a mom that, that reflects the heart of our heavenly father. We know some other things about the way God created the heart of the mom. God creates man and woman to reflect his character in the created world, and he tells them what? Have dominion over the things I've created and steward, manage the earth well, and do what? Be fruitful and multiply. And so in the same way that God just finished creating through spoken word and creating something out of nothing and life out of what is not alive, Every time that, that a mom gives birth, this is before the fall, there's this beautiful reflection of the character of God bringing forth life. Something glorious and, and reflective of God's character, moms, even in childbirth. Desire to nurture, to keep safe, to keep healthy, to, to desire for your kids to be responsible, right? To do their chores and to do their homework and to... Right? And to obey the law and to be responsible contributors to society. It's something that God has placed in the hearts of moms. To treat others with respect and display manners. I'm telling you, if it wasn't for my wife, our boys would never hear the instructions to chew with your mouth closed. That comes from my wife. She wants them, right, to have good manners and to respect others and Let's talk for a minute how all these good desires, these nurturing, this nurturing heart God is giving you can get bent, though. Let's think about that for a minute. Go back to just being responsible. A desire for moms to be, I mean, for, for children to be responsible, to obey the rules, to, to, to take care of chores and responsibilities. If we're not careful, that gets bent and it becomes nagging. Right? Anybody, anybody have a nagging mom? Is, is anybody a nagging mom in here? Of course not. But you know some, right? This desire to, did you do your homework? Did you do your chores? Did you? And if we're not careful, the desire for a good thing can, can become overwhelming and it becomes nagging, right? To the point where kids can become resentful and even husbands can become a little bit resentful. too. So what God has created good, if we're not careful, can get bent towards sin. Um, how about this? The desire to be safe and healthy. If we're not careful, that gets bent, and all of a sudden we become micromanagers and helicopter moms, right? Hovering, 
going before and surrounding our kids and making sure nobody says a mean thing and, and everything is safe and we're checking out every environment. So what God has created is good, right, moms, to, to be, think about safety and health and cleanliness and all those sort of things. If it, if it gets bent out of balance towards sin, all of a sudden moms can become micromanagers. Do you know any micromanaging moms, any hovering moms? I'm so glad we don't have any here today because you might be offended by me saying that, but none here today. But you know some, right, who just become a little overwhelming, just trying to control every scenario, not letting kids, right, experience anything. And, and so another way that I think that this, this beautiful role of being a mother created to reflect the character of God can get bent towards sin is this, is that when moms, your desire for their manners and the way that they interact with people, um, when, you, when you press that to the point that you find your own identity in your kids, I think it's bent towards sin. And here, here's how you know. When you begin to parent out of embarrassment, now I'm embarrassed. And so then you come hard on your kids, right, to, to do, change the behavior. And, 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 and only really you know that, but, but you're embarrassed by how they just acted or what they said or what they did. And instead of, instead of parenting out of this, this, this leadership role of, of calling your kids to be respectful and to have integrity, if you're not careful, it can get bent to where you begin to find your identity. And then when they fail, you feel like you fail. Right? And then when they become older children and make big mistakes, all of a sudden they're your mistakes and you feel guilty for their sins. And so what was good in the created order of things can, if we're not careful, moms, can get bent towards sin and out of balance in our parenting roles. And I think this is quite possibly a lot of what's going on in Solomay's heart here. I mean, it seems like she's asking for a good thing, but Jesus doesn't answer or grant her request, does he? So at the end of the day, we go, okay, that's, that's an example then of, of maybe how we don't want to pray. So now what we're going to do is we're going to go to Hannah from the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we're going to see this beautiful example, similar motives and desires as she petitions the Lord on behalf of her child, but yet the Lord grants her request. And we're going to pay attention to the differences in the way she approaches God and the way she lays out her petition and the way she responds. So if you're taking notes with us today, the mother of James and John, the way she prayed was this. She prayed according to her own will. She didn't at one time say, oh, by the way, Jesus, check in with God and just make sure this is what he wants. Or this is what I want, but never mind what I want, your will be done. She didn't. She just said, this is what I want. She prayed according to her own will. She prayed according to a self-centered motive. It's real easy for what is good to become self-centered, what I want. This will be pleasing to me. She prayed with a self-initiated agenda. There's no place in Jesus' teachings about the kingdom that we're to go to God and say, hey, can you give me a, a place of prestige in your kingdom? Matter of fact, Jesus would say what? It's the servants, right, who are exalted. Those who are prideful and pursue, pursue prestige, those are the ones who will be humbled. It's actually opposite in God's kingdom. So this was her agenda. She initiated this idea. Jesus, make sure my boys get a good place in your kingdom. Self-preservation, right? Security. I want to make sure. Before you go die on this cross and go get yourself buried in the grave and resurrect and usher in your kingdom, can we just talk for a second? Can you go ahead and just commit to me, right, that, there's gonna, that these, these boys are going to be secure? Self-preservation, and she prayed with good desires that weren't necessarily God's desires. Good desires that weren't necessarily, in this particular case, God's desires. And I think we can all relate to that, can't we? Whether you're a mother or not, whether you have children or not, whether you're a teenager or a child, where you go before the Lord and you pray for something that in your mind and heart feels and seems good. 
But yet that petition may not in fact be what God desires. So now let's go to 1 Samuel 1. I'll give you some background on what we're looking at here. We're going to look specifically at Hannah, this mother-to-be, and her request. But some things we need to know about Hannah before we even get there. So she's married to a man named Elkanah. And he actually had two wives. So already setting up a bad scenario, right? Has two wives. Well, to make matters worse, um, he seemed to be a God-fearing man. Every year he would go and offer his sacrifices to God and worship. So he was a man of seemed to be of faith. He had two wives. One of his wives had children. So he would go every year to offer sacrifices on behalf of his family, and he would offer a portion on behalf of the wife who had kids, and then he would offer a portion on behalf of her children. But then with Hannah... Uh, he would offer sacrifices on behalf of her, but he would offer a double portion. So it kind of reveals something about his heart. He was aware. She didn't have kids. Didn't want her to feel you know, left out. He would offer a double portion. Well, to make matters worse, so Hannah's, she's barren. She wants kids, as we're going to see, but she can't have kids. And so this is hard, isn't it? Some of you ladies know exactly what that feels like. She can't have kids. She, she, she probably feels somewhat worthless or like maybe she's done something wrong. Why, God? What if I do? You don't trust me with kids. And to make it even worse, this other wife provokes her and pokes at her all the time. So can you imagine? When we think about Mother's Day, there's so much to be celebrated, isn't there? Like for many of us who had a good example in moms, we know a lot about the character of God by the way that our moms loved us selflessly. When somebody says to me or talks to me about selfless love, and I think about a tangible example, I think about my mom. I think about how my mom selflessly, I didn't know it at the time, but as I look back, like, oh my gosh, just over and over again, moms, you're just so good at loving selflessly. I mean, from the beginning, you're losing sleep, you're, right, you're, you're allowing your body to be changed and all these sort of things, but, but in the end, it's worth it because you love and so you selflessly love. Yet, on Mother's Day can also be hard, too. For every mother who's celebrating the joy she has in her children or the, the joy you have in celebrating your mom, there's also those who have maybe recently lost moms, right, who are wrestling with that, that, that brokenness that comes from that. There, there are women in our church who desire to have children like Hannah who um, haven't been able to bear children, who are feeling a lot of the affliction that we're going to see Hannah's experiencing. And we have women in our church who've had miscarriages even this year, and so Mother's Day is something that, to celebrate, but at the same time, there can be a lot of brokenness that surrounds Mother's Day. A lot of moms right now, maybe even here today, who, who, who like Solomay are praying, God, would you just get my children's attention? Would you wake them up? Would you, right? Would you lead them down the right path? And, and so you, you understand that petition for your children. So Hannah is a, is, is, a, is a, right now, she's not a parent and she's hurting. Matter of fact, she's going to use the word afflicted. So let's read this starting in verse 7. So it went on year by year. This was happening not just once. It was a yearly occasion. So what was supposed to be joyful as she prepared her heart to worship, year after year was a, was a time of affliction. As often as she, came, as she went up to the house of the Lord, she, being the other woman, used to provoke her. Every time she went to worship, this other wife was there provoking her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. It's hard for me to imagine what she's feeling in these moments. Probably some of you can relate. To be so afflicted and so broken on the inside that you just don't even want to eat. 
Many of you have probably been that broken, even for your own children. Like, I'm just sick to the point I don't have an appetite. She doesn't eat. Verse 8, her husband and Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, Hannah, why do you weep? Why, why do you not eat? And, and, and why is your heart sad? Now, stop right there, and that's a really good example of how to be a compassionate husband, right? Tell me what's going on. Why are you feeling this way? But he doesn't stop there like most husbands. He goes on to say what? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Horrible marriage advice right there, right, ladies? Should have stopped right before that. He was working on empathy. He was at least trying. And now he's trying to fix me by saying, well, isn't my love enough to fix what's broken inside of you? And the answer is no. God created Hannah to, to be a wife. We see that in Genesis 1 and 2. Right? Created her to, to be a, a completion, a counterpart to her husband that, that caused him to succeed and, and, and caused her to feel fulfilled. But, but God also created her to what? To, to bear children, be fruitful and multiply. And so, no, Elkanah, you're not enough to fulfill this. This is a good God-given desire that's, that's burdening her right now. So she wants something that's good. But remember from Solomon's example, just remember this, that just wanting what is good for our children isn't always in line with the will of God. So now we're going to follow her example as she prays and petitions the Lord. Verse 9. So after they had eaten and drunk it in Shiloh, so she's broken her fast, she's, she's, re- she's trying to get over it, right? She's, her tears are drying up, she's finally eating. Hannah rose. Now, Eli, he was a priest who was at the temple. Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Now, just to help you out, when you come across the word Lord in lowercase in this story, it's talking about Eli. Capital is the Lord. So he's sitting in this position as a representative of God. He's he's the priest sitting in a position of, of, of respect and authority here at the temple. And so Eli was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, God. Verse 10, she was deeply distressed, and she prayed to the Lord, and she wept bitterly. This isn't a happy Mother's Day for this lady. Year after year, she comes to worship, and every time she does, as the family offers the sacrifices for the children, she's reminded, I don't have any children. And I want to be fruitful and multiply. I want to bring life into this world. I want to fulfill what God created me, this longing to bring forth life. So she wept bitterly, verse 11, and she vowed a vow and said, now here's her prayer, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Verse 12, as she continued praying before the Lord, this is what happens. Eli, the priest, is watching. Now, I don't know exactly why this is recorded, but I think it's recorded so that we can catch a glimpse of her heart. She is so fervently wrapped up in her petition before the Lord that she's praying from her heart, but her mouth is moving, and words aren't, no audible words are coming out, and Eli thinks she's drunk. But that's, that's her heart wrenched crying and weeping before the Lord. Look at what happens. She continued praying before the Lord, and Eli observed her mouth, and Hannah was speaking in her heart, but only her lips moved, and her, her voice was not heard. And gosh, I can't help but think, moms, you know what that, you know that moment. 
You're on your knees in your bedroom beside your bed or beside your children's bed, and you're praying so fervently that even your lips are moving. Therefore, Eli looked to her, or Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Come on, woman. You're in the house of God. Sober up. This is, this is a great example of how to be misunderstood, right? To be so fervently praying for your children that the people around you think you're drunk. To not care what people think about you, to not pray for your own glory, not worried about who's listening. You're just, your heart is wrenched. You're, you're folded before the Lord and you're petitioning God from your heart. And then Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I'm not drunk, I ain't, but I am troubled in my spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. It's a good chance that she knew what it was to feel like a worthless woman, right? Every time this other wife would poke and prod at her, remind her that she hadn't born children. Every time this longing welled up and she thought, why is God not granting me a child? Potentially and probably she felt on some sense worthless and so now here she is, and, and she's pouring out her heart, and she's being misunderstood as a drunk woman. And she says, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have no, neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. That, that probably describes some moments even in your own prayer life, moms. Moments of anxiety, moments of vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. He speaks a blessing over her. And the God of Israel, grant your petition you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and she ate and her face was no longer sad. There was a tangible expression of faith as she walked away. She lays her petition before the Lord. Eli blesses her and she walks away. Now, before the... The prayer, before God responds to the prayer, uh, verse 19 says this, They rose early in the morning and they worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. So even before God did anything, right, in faith, she walks away. Her face is no longer sad. She poured out her heart before the Lord. You can feel the, the level of trust here, can't you? God, I'm laying this at your feet. She eats. She worships. And they went back to their house. And then Elkanah, he knew Hannah, his wife. That's, that's the PG version of they conceived. And he knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. Should begin to ring a bell. We're reading from 1 Samuel. Two books in the Old Testament get named after this cat. Yeah, we're going somewhere good here, right? And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord Verse 21, the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. So now here's an opportunity for her to go and rub it in the other wife's face, right? Ha! Who's got children now? Look what the God gave to me. But she doesn't, which kind of confuses me at first. So let's see what she does. Verse 22, but Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband. Here's why she doesn't go up. As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. So on one hand, I begin to feel a hesitation from her. Oh, crud, I promised. So if I take him, right? But I don't think that's at all what's going on in her heart as we're going to see. 
I think what she doesn't want to do is take Samuel before he's weaned, knowing she'll have to take him back home and then have to take him back. She says, when I take him, I want to take him forever. I want to hand him over to the Lord's purposes forever. And so I'm going to wean him first before I go. So she doesn't go that first opportunity to rub it in the other wife's face, to poke and prod back. She doesn't. So No, I'm going to stay here. You guys go worship. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to take care of my responsibility as God has ordained it to be a mother here to Samuel. And then when it's time, then I'll take him. Verse 26. This is where she takes him. And she says, she's got Samuel. She's there at the temple, ready to hand him over. As you live, my Lord. That's Eli. I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. I am the woman who was here standing in your presence praying to the Lord. So now she comes back probably two years later. So now about to be a toddler. She's coming back. She comes back to Eli. Eli, I don't know if you remember me or not, but two years ago you thought I was here and I was drunk. You saw me. My heart was broken. I was vexed. I was anxiety. I was petitioning the Lord. You thought I was drunk. I wasn't. I was praying to the Lord. And then you blessed me and said that God would answer my prayer. Verse 27, for this child I pray. I want you to picture her there with open hands. This child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent, which also means given or dedicated, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord, and she worshiped the Lord there. I can't imagine that moment, how hard that must have been. We'll get there in just a minute. But let's talk a little bit about what we just saw in Hannah. That guides the way that we pray. Moms, that would guide the way you would pray for your children. Everybody in the room, right? The way we would petition the Lord based on the desires that we have in our hearts. First of all, Hannah prayed in humility. I don't know if you notice this or not. In the opening of her prayer three times, she called herself a servant. She didn't in any way push her way into the presence of God, in any way assume that she deserved something. She says, I'm your servant. But not only that, she prayed in honesty. Hear me, God. Remember the prayer of your servant, the servant who's afflicted. She didn't try to have it all together, moms. I should release you right now, right? She didn't try to to pretend like everything was okay and good and mascara was and makeup was all. She, She just poured her heart out before the Lord in honesty. So she prayed in humility. She prayed in honesty. She prayed in submission. Much like Jesus, please take this cup from me, but never mind what I want. Your will be done. She's what? She's saying, God, I want a child. That's what I want, but I I want you to answer this prayer. And as you do, I'm going to submit this child to you. Your will be done. You got his life. You set his path. You predict his future. You call him forward. Praying that you would bless me with a child but I want you to bless me, and I want, to, I want to receive that child in submission. She prayed in submission, and I love this. She prayed with no strings attached. Lots of evidence of that here. Um, that phrase about how um, no razor would touch his head, that's, that's the indication that she was setting Samuel apart as a Nazarite, or uh, in the Nazareth vow, which was a, a vow where um, the, 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 the boys wouldn't shave their head or their beards and their lives were consecrated to the Lord for his purposes. Okay? But a lot of times it was for a season. For so many years, somebody might do that, say, you know, at the age of coming a man, so I'm going to set myself apart for the next 10 years or 
And so there was a, a vow that was understood to be a commitment. Did you notice what she did, though? He's going to be yours forever. No razor will ever touch his head. That's another way of saying no strings attached here, God. You, you take this child. You do what you will. No strings attached. He won't just be yours for a moment. He'll be yours forever. She prayed for God's glory, not her own. Just the way she prayed, allowing herself to be vulnerable, not worried about her makeup. She was just weeping before the Lord. Just, right? She wasn't praying for her own glory. She wasn't finding her own identity in her child. She knew who she was before the Lord, didn't she? Praying for his God. You glorify yourself through this child. And she prayed. I want you to hear this. She prayed with open hands. I think so many times we come to the Lord with closed hands. This is what I want. So I want you to answer my prayer. This is what I want. And God places good desires within us, but let's just be honest. A lot of times the water gets muddy. We want good things for our children. We want them to succeed. We want them to go places. And God says, how about this? How about you bring it to me with open hands, trusting me to lead your child? And so Samuel goes on to be this prophet who is used by the Lord in, in such an amazing way. Like God's kingdom, like kings are throned through this man's ministry. This is the man who God uses to set up and establish so much about the nation of Israel and the kingdom, and Samuel becomes this mighty man of God. You know what's cool, though? James and John go on to be used by God, too, according to God's plan and will. All we're looking at is the difference in the way they prayed. Now, what a great example, moms, right? To follow in Hannah's example, to pray in humility, to pray in honesty, to pray for God's glory, to pray in submission, no strings attached, Open hands, trusting that God knows better than you do. And I want to ask some questions for us to think of as we get ready to respond. I want you to think about whether you're a mom or not, whether you're a parent or not. Just think about the way that you approach God. In what ways do you find yourself relating to Salome? You don't, you don't just bring the problem to God, you bring the solution. This is what I want to happen. Well, I want us to think about that. How do we, how do you, how do I, far too often follow in her pattern of thinking, taking what God created to be a good desire and bending it towards self-centeredness? I want you to think about, are there ever times where you find yourself insisting on your way before the Lord? Moms, right? This is what needs to be done. This is how it needs to happen. Do you ever find yourself insisting on your way? Surely you can relate to this. Have you, ever, have you ever had good desires that you had to let go of in order to embrace God's desires for yourself or for your children? That's what we see in Hannah. I want you to think about how God's challenging you right now in your personal prayer life to pray in pattern after Hannah's pattern, her example, to pray in humility and honesty and submission, no strings attached, for God's glory and with open hands. Here's my life. Here's the life of my children. Here's my situation. Here's this big thing I can't get over. Here's the obstacle. And rather than bringing God the problem and the solution, laying it before the feet of the Lord and saying, not my will be done, 
but yours be done. I want to I pray for us now, and we're going to have a chance to respond. And, uh, and so I would just say this. Um, we're going to do something beautiful in just a moment in our service. We're going to see um, a young lady who has given her heart to follow and trust Jesus. She's going to be baptized today. And I love how God talks about the faith of children, that, that unless you come to him with the faith of a child, what is he saying there? He's saying this. Unless you come to me, no strings attached, right? Not according to your terms, but according to mine. Unless you come to me with the faith of a child believing, right? Don't come. And I want you to know there's a beautiful invitation offered up to you today, if you're not a Christian, to come to God, to have every sin in your life completely forgiven, to have every shackle and chain of addiction and shame and guilt unlocked, bondage broken, to be ushered into a permanent relationship with the God of the universe, to walk with you on a daily basis, to lead you, to guide you, to shape you. That invitation is extended to you today if you would but come with the faith of a child and say, I believe in Jesus. And so I'm gonna pray for you right now. If that's you today, um, I wanna invite you to do something courageous. We're gonna have prayer partners at the back. They're, they're back there in every service. They've got a lanyard on says prayer partner. I'm just going to encourage you to consider going to one of them and, and just saying, hey, I'd like for you to pray for me or I'd like to find out more about what it means to be a Christian. I'm going to encourage you to do that now. So let me pray for us, and then our worship team is going to come up. We're going to take some time to respond and sing, and, uh, and then we'll go to baptism after that. Let's pray together. <coughs> Father, what a beautiful example we see in Hannah, an example that challenges us. I can't imagine how a mom would... Um, would be so selfless in the way she prays for her children and gives her children to you, but we see such a beautiful example of how trustworthy you are. We see a beautiful example of someone who believes that your ways are not our ways, and your ways, the way you think about things, the way you see the world is so much better than the way we think about the world, the way we see the world, even to the point, God, where we would trust your desires for our children over our own. And so today, God, we're challenged um, to trust you on that level. And God, I pray for the person here who's never trusted you for the first time that today would be the day of salvation. They would come to you in faith, believing, Jesus, that you died on the cross for their sins and that in you is a sweet forgiveness, that in you we find a love immeasurable, a grace that, that we find nowhere else on earth. God, I pray that today your spirit would move in us and call, call us, God. We pray in Jesus' powerful name.